The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to Bears Over Beers. I'm Jeff Perkis, a writer from Windy City Gridiron, and I'm joined, as always, by EJ Snyder. EJ, we need to be on our best behavior tonight because not only do we have a special guest, but we've got a special promotion to talk about. I know. This is, I don't want to say two firsts, but definitely one first with the promotion. And, and yeah, it's uh, it's very timely. We have, we've had guests on the show before, but uh, we've not had this guest on the show before. And since the Bears are going to be facing off against ye old Houston Texans, we thought we would bring on uh, Texans fan number one and my co-host from the Bootleg Football Podcast, Brett Coleman from YouTube's Film Room. Brett, how you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Thanks, boys, for having me. Oh, couldn't be better. It's the perfect week for it. And uh, as you know, on this show, we do beers. So as the guest, do you want to kick off with the first beers and tell us what you're drinking tonight? Uh, Just, you know, my classic Southern California red trolley, which is, you know, the... It's kind of probably the uh, the basic beer lover's beer of Southern California, but you kind of can't go wrong with it. Gold standard of, of the red ale world. I, I love the red trolley. I actually came across a photo on my phone of it from uh, my trip down to your house last spring as I was paging through looking for something else. So fond memories of the red trolley can vouch for that one. JB, what do you have? You said you have some stuff. Oh, I, I've got to wait. You have to go next. Okay. Uh, and, and, I, and I have to wait because I'm, I'm so excited. All right. To <laughs> share no with problem. you, but I'm going to wait. I don't want to steal any thunder. So I have a beer from uh, a brewery I have never tried before. I've seen them for a while now. And honestly, you know how people buy because of packaging? I haven't bought because of the packaging because I was intimidated because I didn't know how to say the name of the brewery. And I still don't. But it is P-F-R-I-E-M. And I assume the P is silent. And that is either Frime or Freem. I'm not sure which. Very sorry for butchering your brewery name. Uh, but this is their IPA. It's a slightly larger than normal bottle. It is 7.2% alcohol by volume, and it has a very nice sort of etched image of two bears, one on either side of the logo, and they are holding up glasses. And I thought, you know, for bears over beers, we got bears, we got beers, we got two of them. Like, this is just, I got to try it. So this is Freem or Frime's IPA. 
We love good beer art. Okay, so I'm so excited to talk to Brett. The first time I've gotten to talk to him, EJ talks about him all the time to me, but I have never talked to him. And I follow Brett on social media, which you should as well. He's a great follow, has great insights. So make sure that you're following Brett on Twitter. He also likes the whiskey. And I wanted to see if I could possibly impress Brett by bringing on a decent bottle of whiskey. And so I have a bottle of Widow Jane, 10-year-old bourbon here. Is that something that you're familiar with, Brett? Any, anytime you can get a 10-year-age bourbon. That's, that's, that's hand-numbered, by the way, JB. Very yeah, It is hand-numbered. It's a tough one to find. It's a New York uh, distillery, so or at least it has New York roots. Um, pure limestone mineral water, so uh, from the legendary Rosendale Mines of New York is where they get the water for this. So uh, I've, I've had a couple drinks out of it, but I wanted to. I have not brought it onto the podcast, and so I'm, I'm I'm bringing that on. And then also, and this is why EJ might have to finish the show for me, but I'm also bringing on a beer for the promotion that we're talking about today. So I have. <laughs> A Corona. So Corona Beer contacted us uh, last week, and they (laughs) wanted to have us help them with a a promotional opportunity. And the PR guy that contacted us said that he actually got tipped off by a Bears Over Beers listener, that this would be a good podcast to help them get their message out. So thank you to the listener that said this was a podcast worthy of of helping Corona out with this. So here's the story. So Corona is going to set someone up with... I think a really cool deal. So a team of movers who will be masked up, you know, to safety in the, during the pandemic, they will come and unpack a shipping container, literally what they told me, a shipping container full of goodies to your place, which includes a 70-inch big screen TV, a wireless surround sound system, a football helmet chair, which if some if one of our listeners wins this, Please send that picture. We want to see what a football helmet chair looks like. Personalized sports locker, a grill, and a bunch of other gear. So, like, tons of stuff. And basically, they're bringing a tailgate party right to your door. You can sign up now until December 20th. So that's just around the corner. Anyone that's of legal drinking age is eligible, but you have to live within 40 miles of Chicago. So if you do... Great. If you don't, but you know somebody, make sure that they're signing up for this, and you can split the, the you know, <laughs> you can split the winnings, if you will. All you got to do is you got to go to gamedaywithcorona.com. That's the that's the website for you to go to. That's gamedaywithcorona.com. We'll put it on the website when we put out this article. We'll put it on the Twitter account and all that. The other thing is that Corona, uh, the PR guy, said that he's going to be sending me some swag. And so at some point, when I get the swag, I'll take a picture of it, and we will be giving that out to Bears Over Beers listeners. So pretty cool promotion. We're really excited about this. So I also brought a Corona onto the podcast with a lime, of course. And I have a bunch of limes sitting around because I am obsessed with making whiskey sours these days. Uh, Brett, that's kind of been my go-to drink during the pandemic. And so I've got nothing but lemons and limes sitting around Ooh. my house. Yes. And we love Corona, like. Uh, I introduced Brett to Diver Downs when I was down at his house in Southern California, and I've the most dangerous thing in the history. Yeah, of for those of you that way. don't know, you obviously haven't been listening to this podcast or Bootleg, but if you're new to the podcast, welcome. And a Diver Down is simply a Corona uh, with the open space at the top of the bottle, topped off with a little Bacardi Limon. Uh, 
turn it upside down, let it mix, drop your lime in if you'd like. Um, that's one thing that I'm very jealous of Brett for his Orange County location for is lots of fresh limes that are ubiquitous and super cheap. Um, but that that's one of my favorite summer drinks of all time. So we are definitely Corona friendly, at least Corona beer friendly on this podcast. So really cool that they reached out to us. Really cool that a listener nominated us for that. So again, head to gamedaywithcorona.com register for that really cool thing until you got to the 40 miles outside of chicago thing i was like man i could just we could totally just submit my name with a ticket and like split the stuff right but uh, (laughs) i i don't i don't live close (laughs) enough so uh, maybe i'll get one of the t-shirts but uh no if you do live within 40 miles of chicago head to the website there's a ton of good stuff there and they're going to deliver it to your door so cool yeah, and masked up and stay safe. And if, if someone does listen to this and wins it, we want to see pictures. So please share those on social media if you can. So let's get into the show. I, I'm really excited to talk to Brett for a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons is that he's a Texans fan, but he's also apparently a closet Bears fan. Like he kind of has adopted the Bears as sort of his NFC team. Rumor has it, which... I'm sorry that you've done that uh, by choice. That seems like I'm a quite an interesting uh, road to take. But as I've kind of thought about what do we want to talk to Brett about? What are we going to talk to him on his first appearance on Bears Over Beers? And for me, I want to know your experience as a Texans fan thinking about this Deshaun Watson versus Mitchell Trubisky uh, situation because you have a history with both guys, obviously. But – I want you to start off, just take us through your experience with Watson as a Texans fan. So, you know that feeling of dread and hopelessness that as a Bears fan you get every Sunday when you're going into a game and you're like, God, I just hope we don't embarrass ourselves. Imagine that feeling, but knowing that your quarterback is still great, but the rest of the organization is so terrible that you're still going to embarrass yourselves anyway. It's almost worse because you know what this team could be. And, and I say that as somebody who has love for the Texans immensely and also a soft spot for the Bears. Like, I want the Bears to succeed every Sunday, but it's worse being a Texans fan because you know they have the quarterback, which is the most important piece to a football team. They already have the hard part out of the way, but they can't get everything else together to actually pay off hitting on a quarterback. So it's this you know, forever uh, kind of in the, in a, with like purgatory, you know, like Deshaun's always going to make your team sure. too good to be able to get impact players in the top five. Uh, and, and the team itself just continues to be too bad to allow Deshaun to get them to the playoffs. So again, like at least Bears fans know like, Hey, we don't have a quarterback. Like we're bad. Like we, we are out of it at this point. At least Bears fans have that solace of knowing a rebuild is coming we know what the future entails. Texans fans, we don't we don't know what the next three years are going to be because we have no money. We have no weapons. We have no picks. And yet we still have this great quarterback. And so we're just like stuck in this purgatory of being right on the precipice and then not being even close. And it's it's torture. I've got a great idea. <laughs> What's that? We could free you. From your purgatory. You just give us Watson, and then oh, okay. you too can have probably a bunch of picks in exchange for that, and, and some hope that you might be able to rebuild. 
Oh, wait, that doesn't work at all. Anyways, it works for, <laughs> works for Chicago. It just doesn't work for you. So it's kind of – I want to say two things. One is that Bears fans have no idea what you're talking about because we cannot relate to that piece that you just talked about because I don't think anybody listening to this podcast was around during the Sid Luckman days. And if they were, they were winning championships on the regular. So it's not like they can really you know, relate to what you're saying. The Bears situation is more like – I. This is, I think, a pretty interesting thing as a Bears fan is there will be times in your life where you will feel much more comfortable when the defense is on the field. You mm-hmm. will feel that you have a chance to score when your defense is on the field and you fear giving up points when your offense is on the field. That feels like a very unique Bears fan feeling. I mean, I could I could put out a prop bet every week of who scores first eddie jackson or david montgomery and you could flip a coin (laughs) yeah it's that's uh that's about right so what do we get when it pushes and it's neither uh because that's where the money money is on that bet. (laughs) that's the house on that bet is you know it sounds good at the outset but neither is likely to happen where can i put my folding money on that one EJ's always taken like the the you know the the long you know the minus uh, eight hundred bets you know he's like hey oh, I'm the, just picking the, winners man and it's like yeah command. you took the Chiefs to beat the Jets congratulations oh, God. chalk them up chalk them up I'll take the freebies uh, all right so earlier this week we saw some a further reporting of course because the Bears are playing the Texans and Deshaun Watson is going to play the Bears for the first time in his career we saw some further reporting about this. Ryan Pace not meeting with Deshaun Watson. It was a little bit of a flashpoint earlier this year. Uh, he had gone on to the Rich Eisen show when he was going into the draft, and he listed a whole bunch of teams that he's met with, which is clearly something that his agent told him to do. Everybody up high that might conceivably want a quarterback, just say that they've met with you. Uh, but as we've learned more, the reality has come out that Ryan Pace went to the pro, bit, pro day but Ryan Pace did not meet with Deshaun Watson, did not have an interest in Deshaun Watson. He really kind of focused in on Patrick Mahomes and Mitchell Trubisky. And so I, I want to kind of – we don't want to always talk about the Trubisky-Watson thing, but I we have you on, and you guys are both uh, you know excellent draft analysts and have good opinions. And my question is, what what defense does Ryan Pace possibly have? What could he have possibly seen – in Watson's college tape, where he would have said, this guy is just off my board. Because to me, it seems like an unjustifiable mistake that he is, he made by doing that. It should be the first line of his pink slip. But is there something from Watson's college career that made him someone to just take off the board before, before even meeting him? Uh, taking him off the board completely, absolutely not. That's indefensible. I will say I had a high second-round grade on Deshaun Watson coming out. I really liked him. I really did. And when the Texans took him in the top 12, like whatever the pick was, uh, I said, okay, that's like it's it's not like quote-unquote value, but he's a quarterback. They always have inflated value. If he's your guy, you can't wait till the second round. Obviously, he's going to go in the first because he's a quarterback. Go get him. But in terms of like raw player grade, I had a high second-round grade on him because... His arm at the collegiate level, it's gotten significantly better as a pro. Nobody can deny that. His arm at the collegiate level was 
average. His deep ball accuracy was average at best. Uh, he played a lot of hero ball at Clemson because, you know, he had guys like Mike Williams that he could throw the ball up to and, you know, throw 50-50 balls just like Justin Herbert's doing right now and Williams would go pay it off. He had all these, all these you know, future first-round receiving options uh, to work with. And there were legitimate concerns with Watson as a prospect. Nothing, nothing that would ever take him off my board, ever. But I saw him as like a supercharged version of Alex Smith, which was a compliment because I like Alex Smith. I was like, if he sticks to the RPOs, the quick game, you know, spread, uh, you know, utilizes mobility. He's a great leader, great student of the game. You'll win a lot of games with him. You can win a Super Bowl with him. I did not see him as the transformative quarterback talent that he has become. So did I miss on him? Yes, to a degree, because I, I didn't have him as a first-round grade. But do I do I agree that Pace shouldn't have even interviewed him? Absolutely not. Like, he deserved an interview. He deserved a look. Because guess what? I like Deshaun more than I like Trubisky. I didn't have Trubisky as a first-round pick either. I didn't have him as a high second-round pick. Uh, I didn't even have Pat as a first-round pick. Like, I, I was down on that quarterback class overall. And if you knew going into that draft, like, look, we're going to have to take a guy that is graded lower than what our pick is, we should look at all of our options. And apparently they only looked at two of them, which is indefensible, and he's going to get fired for that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I I think this gets overblown, and part of the reason, I'm, I'll just play devil's advocate, you know, if, if it is as reported, if he just said, you know, I'm going to the pro day, just pro forma, but I'm not doing anything else and I don't want that guy, yeah, I'm with Brett. That's that's stupid. Like Watson's resume on tape as a person, as a leader, certainly justified looking into it. The flip side of this is that's if it's as reported, right? Because think about Ryan Pace's position here. What does he gain if he comes out and goes, no, no, man, I had a bunch of secret meetings with Deshaun. I didn't want to tip my hand. And I, and I still didn't pick him. Yeah. Right? It doesn't so no, win it, him anything. Everybody's going to say, well, that he you're freaking stupid. Yeah, yeah, the fact that everybody's he didn't gonna, pick him is a no-win scenario. Right. So what good does it do him process-wise or other to come out now and say, hey, I had a bunch of quiet meetings with him, right? It doesn't do him any good. Deshaun's got no interest in it because you didn't get picked. And come on, as an athlete, you have some pride and, you know, you look at them moving up and investing a bunch in another quarterback who you clearly believe you were better than at that point and have proven on the field that you are better as a pro. Um, the other thing is all the retro stuff I think is always interesting. Um, I've talked about this on a lot of podcasts, but I think it's refreshing of Brett to say, hey, I didn't have a first round grade on Mahomes either because neither did I, right? My scouting report on Mahomes is out there. You can still read it. It was posted at Windy City Gridiron and it says, look, if this guy lands in the right situation and everything goes well, he'll win you a Super Bowl, which turned out to be true. If he doesn't, which would have been him going to a John Fox helmed team with Dow Loggins as the offensive coordinator, Let's say that again. Same guy that pretty much damn near ruined Ryan Tannehill and is currently destroying Sam Darnold, right? If you drop Mahomes into that in his first year, he is not the Patrick Mahomes 
of sitting a year under Matt Nagy as a quarterback coach, watching Alex Smith and learning from Andy Reid, which is the best possible scenario for Mahomes because now us as football fans get to see the Mahomes, not the broken Mahomes that would have been in Chicago. Watson, on the other hand, probably would have succeeded in either situation because he's shown that he can operate, like Brett said, with almost nothing around him outside of the structure. And he has gotten quite a bit better as well. He was very good coming out of college, but the faults that Brett cited, I cited as well. And they're also comparable to another guy that has a very similar play style that nobody had great grades on coming out of college, and that's Russell Wilson, right? Russell Wilson's deep ball, great leader, very mobile, uh, can pick up a system really fast, great student of the game. Those are all similarities between Watson and Wilson, but Russell Wilson threw a terrible deep ball in college and for the first half of his rookie year in Seattle, and then he morphed. His arm got stronger. He throws that great rainbow deep ball with tremendous accuracy, one of the best in the NFL now. Nobody had that on the scouting report. If they did, of course he's a first-round pick, but that's not the way it works. So when we look back and we say, this Deshaun Watson that we see right here, you should have picked him first. The answer is, yeah, well, duh. If it worked like that, it would be (laughs) real easy. Um, But it doesn't. So um, great perspective. I'm glad he brought that. Well, let me flip it over to Trubisky. So, Brett, one of the first film rooms that I watched, might have been the first one that I ever watched, was it was on Mitchell Trubisky. It was the Trubisky episode. And overall, your tone in that video was pretty positive of what you saw from Trubisky. And it honestly gave me hope where I didn't really have it. And so I had kind of pointed to your video for a while. And so I'm, I'm curious, what did you see at the time that gave you that belief that there was some positive momentum behind his growth? And what do you think has happened since that point? You know, when I made that first episode, it was, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Like, that's basically how the episode was structured of, like, here's what's good, here's what's bad, here's what's ugly, and here's, in the end, like, here's what give you, gives you hope. And, you know, the, the, the bad pocket presence, the bad decision-making, bad eye discipline, all that you know, kind of went into it. But in the end, it was like, here's the good. Here's what gives you hope. And it's that in the last five minutes, when he turns his brain off, he's a much better quarterback. And we saw that, uh, you know, in the playoff game against the Eagles, like that throw to A-Rob, that was the best throw of his career. And it was a similar look that he saw earlier in the game. And, and when he was playing fast in a hurry up, and again, he just kind of, played more on instinct, he was a better quarterback. It's almost like he's better out of structure than in structure. And so I think, you know, the the last five minutes, Mitch, versus the first 55 minutes, Mitch, at the time, were two different guys. And so the point of that episode was basically saying, like, look, if you can unlock this last five-minute Mitch and have him play the other 55 minutes of the game, you'll be fine. The problem is they never did that. They can never unlock that and just kind of get him to turn his brain off or really get him to a point of understanding of the quarterback position to where he was not thinking. You know, I I think like a key difference between Mitch and Pat is when Pat's out there, he's not really thinking. It's a lot of instincts, lots of feel. It's spatial recognition. It's all that kind of stuff. You know, like he famously said he didn't even really know how to read coverages for the first year and a half of his career. It was all spatial recognition and feel and instinct. And that's what I wanted from Mitch. I wanted him to have that instinct. And uh, for at least for the first 55 minutes of a game, it just never showed up. 
feels a lot more like he's an athlete playing quarterback than a guy that you know truly has a has that natural feel for the position but it's interesting that you you talk about Mahomes just having that instinct out there where he's just he just always kind of has his brain turned off and he's just reacting to to patterns and and whatnot it's a very interesting thing there's you know this game is so complicated there's so many different factors that go into this stuff anybody that tells you that they know exactly why something happened or will happen um you know don't don't buy anything from them because they are selling selling you a tale ej do you have anything to add to that yeah i had a different take on trubisky coming out um i was higher on him because in in structure, when his first couple reads were open, he threw with tremendous accuracy and a little bit of anticipation. Typically, college throwers throw with less anticipation. Guys that throw with great anticipation in college are rare. They also tend to translate really well to the program. A lot of guys have big arms, and the windows are quite large in college, so there's a lot more see ball, throw ball in college, but Trubisky was able to see guys, lead guys, um, again, in his initial couple of reads very, very well. He was never a great deep read quarterback, um, third, fourth reads. He was very athletic, but if he knew where he was going with the football, think his games against the Detroit Lions, he looked comfortable and accurate. He had a tremendous arm. He had very good accuracy, uh, certainly at the mid-level so I was higher on him uh, through the first 55 minutes maybe than Brett was. Um, but, I, again, there's this position. We talked about it last week about everybody wanting progression to be linear, right? Guy did this, and so he's going to build on that, and he's going to add to that. And we're going to see this continued sort of upward progression from a guy. And progress isn't linear. Trubisky was making decent progress in his first full season under a modern offensive concept with Matt Nagy up until double doink. Was he great? No. Was he better than when he started in the league? Yes, he was. And we all, uh, I don't want to say fell for it, but we were all projecting that progression to continue. We went to camp that year and everybody was high on the bears coming out, man. He almost got him, you know, through the first round of the playoffs. They probably would have beat the Rams. He's gotten better. He's going to continue to get better. And then something happened and he decidedly got worse from week one against the Packers. Like the wheels fell off and we'll never know what that was, whether it was a break in his confidence or what happened, but something happened to Mitchell Trubisky because he looked like a very different guy between the game, the double doink game, and week one against the Packers the next year. Something happened, and then he absolutely trolled all the way through last season, and it became very obvious that, yeah, it wasn't only linear, it was also on a decline. Like, he wasn't doing things that he did even a season before well enough to win at the pro game. So I don't think we'll ever know what that was, but it would have been very different had that field goal gone through, had they gone and played competitively in the next round, I think we'd be having a very different conversation about Trubisky. But something happened in that offseason. I feel like between camp and the first game, quite frankly, because in camp he looked the same way. He looked relaxed. He was making good decisions. He was comfortable. And very clearly from week one, he became uncomfortable. And he's gone downhill, quite frankly, ever since. Uh, and it's it's just a case that you know, we need to understand that guys go up and down and Watson and Mahomes have continued to rise and Trubisky t- 
took a different path. It doesn't mean that he won't bounce off the bottom. And we've all talked about him having sort of a late career resurgence, a la Rich Gannon somewhere else with a coaching staff that understands him. Uh, but for right now, it's not happening in Chicago. It's probably not going to happen in Chicago. And that just has to be a sort of a truism. It's what is. Yeah, I think we can all agree that he is going to leave Chicago at the end of the year. I can't really see a scenario where he plays himself into any kind of you know, franchise tag or contract here after this this season with the last four great no games. Just, he's, he's gone. And so I, I'm curious what you guys think his future looks like. Is this a guy that can carve out a career as a backup with the tools that he's shown at the pro level? You know, will he get a chance to start again for a team that's looking for something? Or is it pretty much over? Has he shown the league that he's, you know, he got thrown into the deep end and he, he sunk, he, he can't swim? I think it would be interesting to see him latch on with Frank Reich and the Colts somewhere with a good offensive line, um, some good weapons with, you know, Michael Pittman, Naheem Hines, T.Y. still doing it. Um, I, I think... Frank Reich is also a very good developer of quarterbacks. You know, Carson Wentz was at his peak under Reich, and I think we, I think we've come to know that Reich was the secret sauce for that Super Bowl Philly team, and maybe not the rest of the coaches that were there. Um, I would be very curious to see him go to Indy, and uh, assuming Rivers is not there next year, uh, and compete with I don't know, maybe maybe they even get Carson too, and have them both compete. I, I could very easily see that as a scenario because Indy has a lot of money. Like, they don't really care about cap space right now. They, they have, like, $60 million going into next year. They can afford whatever they want. So you can trade for Carson, which Philly would be eating a lot of that money anyway, and that's basically, like, a two-year $47 million cap, uh, cap hit, I believe, which is not that big of a deal for them to eat just to see what, what he is. You bring in Trubisky for what? Five million peanuts at most. <laughs> yeah, I was like, gonna say three, but yeah, you sure. know. Uh, so you're y- you're spending a total of like thirty million on two quarterbacks that have a lot of talent, but have had their careers kind of go sideways on them. You have weapons. You have a line. You have a good coach. You have a great defense. Just see what you got. Like I, I would very much for Mitch's sake, I would like him to end up in Indianapolis because at worst. At worst, maybe he just at least becomes a better player. Yeah, I'm with Brett. I actually just said this on a, another podcast that I was on recently that if Mitch gets to a place where the coaching staff understands him, and I realize this is going to be a, a double dagger for Chicago fans, I could see him having a very Nick Foles-like run from Philadelphia, right? That he would be sitting on the bench, he would be learning, he would be soaking it up much like Josh Rosen is now on Tampa Bay, right? And if the starter gets hurt late in the season, they need a spark. Trubisky comes in, leads him through three or four games, gets him into the playoffs and gets hot. I could see that happening. And that is that is the Nick Foles like patented run, right? And two or three years from now on the right team, I could absolutely see Mitch Trubisky doing that, right? They need... He needs to go to a place, and, and Frank Reich is a perfect example because he had foals in Philadelphia. But he needs to go to a place where the staff understands what he is and what he isn't. And we don't actually have to look any farther than the last offensive play of the Bears last week, 
right? They have a lead against the Lions. They call a play, which is pass play, and I understand that they've been having good success with the pass. It's not me being against a pass play. Sure, a run play is a somewhat safer option. But it's the kind of pass they called, right? We know that Trubisky is better on the move, not being a stationary target in the pocket and having to go through multiple reads. And what do they call? Bill Lazer, Bill Lazer calls a play where Trubisky has to stand in the middle of the pocket and go through reads. He looks like a deer in headlights. He gets mm-hmm. hit, strip sacked. Detroit recovers, short field, ball game, right? That's not putting your players in a great situation. If you know what Mitch Trubisky is, why do that, right? And if you have a coach that understands him, they're going to do that less and his chances for success are going to increase. Am I crazy in thinking that he would be an interesting backup to Lamar Jackson? Am I crazy in thinking he'd be potentially an interesting backup to Josh Allen in Buffalo? The Dayball thing is really interesting. Brian Dayball and Mitch. I don't know whether that would be oil and water or whether that would be like fire at a match. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Because he has – it's – oh, man – the Dable thing really has me. I understand your observation for the Ravens, and I think he could be more of an analog for a sort of Jackson Light, and I know people are going to get all crazy in the comments over that. Um, but Josh Allen had a lot of similar bad habits coming in, and Dable has polished off those edges, and now I'm like, now I can't unsee it. Thanks, JB. well those are the two spots that i that are going through my head i like what you're saying about the colts it's interesting but those are the two spots that have been kind of going through my i could definitely see him in buffalo so all right well we'll see what happens with mitchell trubisky i think we can all agree like you know he seems like a good guy you know he works hard we're certainly you know cheering for him to be successful in the nfl and it just didn't happen in Chicago. And sometimes that happens. And, you know, unfortunately, he's in a historic draft class with two guys that, you know, are going to be good for a long time. That is what it is. That's that's just part of Bears history. They've been around for 100 years. There's a lot of stories. Believe me, I've told a lot of them on a different podcast. I've written about them. They're fun. But you got to just know you're living through history. And that is what it is sometimes. So let's talk about this game. So here's some Bears history. The Bears have beat all 30 other teams in the league, and they have no wins against one team, and that is the Texans. They are 0-4 against the Texans. I was thinking early on in the year, like, hey, looks like we're going to get that first win. Not (laughs) feeling so good about that right now. I wanted to go through keys. We have a Texans fan on here. He knows that team well. Are they really playing better? Is this a team that the Bears really have to worry about? Or is this something where the Bears might have to worry about winning a game and losing draft position, since that seems to be what every Bears fan on Twitter is worried about right now? Yeah, and I think this is going to be one of those games where Akeem Hicks wins it almost by his damn self. Because (laughs) the Texans' tackle situation is actually pretty pretty nice. Like, Laramie Tunsil's an elite left tackle. Um... You know, Titus Howard, I think, has overall been so far very good for them uh, as a first-round pick from a year ago. He's he's ended up, like, it's kind of funny because as a Texans fan, I really wanted Andre Dillard. Uh, we took Titus Howard. 
Uh, and I was, I wasn't like super upset, but I was kind of like, ah, I really like Andre Dillard. And then Howard's ended up being much better. Like he's been actually a pretty rock solid uh, right tackle for them. The problem is the interior. And fun fact, the rotation at left guard between Max Sharping and, and Senio Kelamete uh, gave up eight pressures last game against Indianapolis with that interior line anchored by uh, DeForest Buckner there. That's uh, what uh, Rashad Coward calls the first quarter. You know, you would think so, and I, I looked it up. That is double the number of pressures that Rashad Coward has given up ever in his worst game at left guard this year. Oh, my fun. God. Okay. <laughs> I, put my so, place. so you think it's bad when you just, Coward is You playing. just put it in language that JB can understand. Uh, it's twice as bad as Rashad Coward. In so, fairness, uh, Buckner played out of his mind in that game. I, I'm great. telling you, Akeem Hicks is going to do the same damn thing. I, I hope so. <laughs> Hicks has been struggling with a hamstring, but Buckner played very, very well. But we are both familiar because of the franchises we root for about uh, interior O-lines that allow uh, ridiculous amounts of pressure. I think on the on the flip side, Charles Amena, who's going to be the same problem for you guys, because again, you guys don't really have any guards that can pass block right now. And Charles Amena, who in terms of pressure rate, is one of the best interior defenders in the entire league in terms of just generating pressure. Like his pressures per snap is, I think, like top ten among uh, interior rushers in the league right now. So I think it's going to be a showcase game for really anybody that Chicago lines up on the inside, as well as a showcase game for Amena, who. Um, you know, JJ is probably going to get it done on the outside because again, JJ versus even Leno is probably a mismatch favorite for JJ. Uh, and then Jacob Barton, who they picked up in the, uh, Jadavian Clowney trade has actually stuck around and been a pretty decent rotational pass rusher for them. He's he even beat Mitchell Schwartz earlier this year on a sack. He's, he's been kind of a nice pickup for them as well. So the pass rush for Houston could be a pretty big problem for Chicago. If Houston can get a lead, it's a big if though, because they have the worst run game in the league in terms of like actual running back yards. Deshaun doesn't count, uh, but in terms of just actual you know running back production, they're the worst in the league, uh, and uh, they're kind of depleted on weapons by a lot. Will Fuller's gone with the suspension. Cobb's on IR. They release Stills. So your number one receiver is Brandon Cooks, and then you got Kiki QT and uh, kind of a mishmash of other guys for the number three receiver spot. And then you know you got the tight ends that are role players but again no there's no like top 10 tight end on this roster here so it's basically Deshaun versus the world if Deshaun can will this team to get a lead the pass rush can win the game for them the problem is Chicago's defense is still very good and I don't think they're going to be able to get a lead and I think Deshaun's going to be playing from behind believe it or not Chicago's going to be playing with the lead in this game and uh, you put him behind that interior three with that Bears defense playing with a lead, it's it, it could get rough. I will say that the offensive line, interior offensive line, has been a little better with uh, Cody Whitehair coming back and moving to guard and Sam Mustafer coming back to center. And Alex Barr is playing guard, who, you know, we can talk about Alex Barr, but at least he's not Rashad Coward. 
they did what we asked them to do. This is one of those things that EJ and I talked about a couple weeks ago, and we said these are the things they can do immediately to get better. They did, and they looked better, and so th- those are good things. Hopefully, I mean, White Hair's White Hair is at least a good guard, and so I think he he can he's someone that I believe can hold up a little bit. Um, Mustafer is a guy that is playing probably he's punching above his weight, I think, right now, but really happy for him because. This is a guy that's kind of come in out of nowhere and, and held down that spot when he's played, and I think he's played pretty well, bars, whatever. But So hopefully, if you're saying that's that's the key to the game, I'm feeling a lot better than I would have when the Bears played the Titans and they were playing you know, four guys that were basically had no business being in that lineup together uh, and Charles Leno. So that was, a, that was a rough game. EJ, what do you think about... I mean, where are you at as a Bears fan? Are you are you watching the Tankathon, trying to uh, move up in the draft so that you can start dreaming about Trey Lance and Justin Wilson, uh, or are you someone who still is like, oh man, we only get so many Sundays and Bears never beat the Texans. Let's do it this year. Uh, I've something I've learned in my later life is to go in without expectation, <laughs> and I will have a much better time either way. Um, as a, as a younger Bears fan, I certainly went in just dead set that they would win every week. And that, um, had me upset a lot and, uh, had me miss a lot of the nuance, but last week was almost a perfect game. Uh, we got to see the Bears come out and play well offensively. We got to see them establish a running game. We got to see David Montgomery actually, show some of what he could do beside you know behind decent blocking we got to see cordell patterson make more than one cut in a single run uh all those were nice improvements mitch trubisky didn't throw an interception until late uh you know he protected the football he got a rob involved early he got miller involved earlier these are all things that we've asked for bears staked a lead um, the defense didn't play as well as we typically would have liked, and they lost on an offensive gaffe late in the game, thereby securing you know better draft position. I kind of got most of the things I wanted out of last weekend, right? Because any victory on the field right now is a bit of a fearic victory, right? They're going to win the game, but they're going to lose in the draft position overall, and it's going to push them down into that purgatory brett said earlier of the middle draft picks where you're not going to get a quarterback quarterback is really what they need so um i would like to see them win because i'm a bears fan at the same time if deshaun watson rallies and pulls some amazing stuff out of his backside that he does normally and they win the game on say oh i don't know a long pass to kiki qt because this is former Kiki Cutie Hive here. I really liked him coming out. He's done almost nothing until all the other Texans receivers got hurt a few weeks ago, and now he started to show up in the box score. So that would kind of be, I don't want to say a perfect game, but look, if the Bears can secure a better draft position, it's good because they don't have a lot of other ammunition here. They've got most of their draft picks this year, not all. They do not have a ton of money in fact they're fairly cap strapped as they are um they don't have a quarterback uh brett let off the show talking about the texans having not much but having secured the franchise quarterback the bears aren't even there so there's a lot of uncertainty they could have a new coach a new gm everything anything they can do to better that position is nice um 
but I'd hope for a competitive game. If the Bears win, I'm happy because, hey, it's a Bears win. If the Bears lose, I'm still kind of happy because they preserve their draft position. I just hope they play well and don't embarrass themselves. I'd love to see the offensive line play well again. I'd love to see the defense rebound. Love to see a great game from Jalen Johnson, sort of push him into that defensive rookie of the year category a little stronger. Um, There's a lot of positives I can take out of the game, but the less sort of expectation about this has to happen or I won't be happy, uh, the more of that I can let go, the, the better off it is. I said Justin Wilson. It's Zach Wilson, of course. Everybody knows that. But I'm so excited about the Justin Jefferson episode of Film Room that's going to be coming out soon. I wondered who this Justin Wilson character was. I was like, damn, he's not on my list. (laughs) I got a note to plug plug Brett's YouTube channel and, and the next one coming out. I was staring right at it when I was talking. Don't do that. Don't stare at your notes when you're talking about something different. That's a good tip for everybody. <laughs> so here's what we'll do. We're going to take a quick break, uh, let somebody else pay for these beers, and we will come right back. And We are t- going to talk about coaching. All right, guys. So while we had Brett on, I wanted to talk about the coaching carousel that's going to happen. I, I always find this fascinating every year, whether or not the Bears are looking for a new coach or not. I just find this to be this is the the football nerd kind of talk here, like these guys that are coordinators or, you know, retread head coaches that are looking for another job try to predict maybe of what a good fit might be or who your favorites are. And since the Bears are more than likely going to be in in this market, and we know that the Texans will be because they fired their GM and head coach in the same person, Bill O'Brien, a few weeks ago, they will be looking for, for a new coach as well. And so I wanted to just kind of run through potential open jobs. We know that the Jaguars, Lions... Falcons and Texans are open. Uh, the Jets almost certainly will be open. I can't imagine they're going to stick with <laughs> with Adam Gase. That would be that would be pretty crazy. Uh, we think the Bears are a possibility. We're going to, for the purpose of this segment, we are going to assume that the Bears will be in this market. And then I have a question for you guys: Do you think the Chargers move on from Anthony Lynn? Do you think that Mike McCarthy could be a one and done oh, in Dallas? Man. And do you think the Eagles? would move on from Doug Peterson. Ooh, okay. Uh, I'll kind of address them in order. It's very likely to me that Anthony Lynn gets fired if they keep losing games in the way that they're losing because it's it's a coaching problem. Uh, clock management's been bad. Decision-making's been bad. It's The team hasn't looked prepared. Justin Herbert's kind of the only thing keeping them alive. Uh, it's It's been bad, and I, I could very easily see Anthony Lynn getting fired and then bringing in maybe trying to poach Eric Bieniemy to to you know work with Justin Herbert. I think they're going to try to get uh, a young a young guy who's very familiar with kind of modern passing games to to work with Justin Herbert. Mike McCarthy, I don't think he'll be a one and done in Dallas because I think they have the built-in excuse of ah, Dak got hurt, blah 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 blah. I I think uh I don't think Jerry's going to pull the trigger on that quite yet. Um and then Obviously, Gase is going to get fired. Who's the other one you brought up? Uh, Peterson. Doug Peterson. Peterson? Uh, probably not. He just won a Super Bowl a few years ago. Um, I don't think him or Howie's getting fired. I think if Jalen Hurts plays well in the last four games, I'm not expecting them to win because the team isn't very good. But if Hurts at least plays well, 
I could see all of them getting kept and then them you just trying to dump Carson for pennies somewhere and, you know, get free up some money at some point and, uh, you know, try to do a rebuild with Jalen Hurts. I, I could see that. I think Peterson's the least likely or the second least likely out of those to get fired. Yeah, I'll go backwards. Uh, I've actually heard Peterson might leave the Eagles like voluntarily. He might. He might be looking for a step down in uh, responsibility, basically, and going back to a coordinator level or, or even a, you know, maybe a quarterback coaching level. He's he seems tired of the head coaching grind. Now, if Jalen Hurts comes in and lights it up, uh, like Brett said, even if they don't win, if he feels that spark and that creativity, he might stay. Um, McCarthy for the Cowboys, I think he was a terrible hire. If the if Dallas was smart they'd be one and done. That'd be a huge outlay of money because obviously he has a guaranteed contract as a coach uh, for many years coming on. Uh, but if the Cowboys fans want a competitive product, A, they never should have hired McCarthy in the first place. B, he's not going to lead them to the promised land. Yes, they have a built-in excuse. Yes, they will probably retain him. That's a that's a bummer for Cowboys fans out there. Chargers, Anthony Lynn. Oh, man. He's done some really good things, but he's also done some terrible things. And honestly, Justin Herbert hitting and becoming the quarterback he's become and shattering all the rookie records is going to put more pressure on him, not less. The fact that he hasn't been able to get over the hump with that guy already in place might seal his fate. Kind of depends on who they think they can get and when they're willing to do it. Um, But I think ultimately they do move on from Anthony Lynn. He's, He's a good leader. Um, he took that team to a point, but if they want to go past that, they're going to need to replace him. All right, so at least five. Let's, for this purposes of this, we're saying the Bears make six. I think that the Chargers move on from Lynn. That's seven. I think that you guys are right. The Cowboys stick with McCarthy, even though that's the wrong move. I think that the Eagles could move on from Peterson, either voluntarily or they decide to you know, part ways, you know, Mutually. So I think we're talking about seven to eight head coaching positions open. That is a lot. This is a big moving year here, uh, potentially. And so I wrote down a bunch of names. I'm just going to kind of list them off so that we kind of know what we're talking about here. So Joe Brady, we've talked about him, offensive coordinator uh, with with the Panthers. Arthur Smith, offensive coordinator. My personal favorite right now with the Titans. Eric Bieniemy with Kansas City. Brian Dayball. Uh, Matt Eberflus, Brandon Staley, I wrote his name down. He used to be a Bears assistant. He is really turning some heads as the defensive coordinator uh, right now with the Rams. Jim Harbaugh, man, Bears fans really like to talk about Jim Harbaugh. Not a fan of that idea, but like, please no. Let's put him out. I I agree. (laughs) Let's put him out there. Marvin Lewis uh, might have some interest to get him back in the game. Dennis Allen, um, pretty good defensive coordinator down in New Orleans. Todd Bowles, who could have come to Chicago to be their D.C., uh, back when they hired Chuck Pagano, Dave Tobe, uh, former Chicago Bears special teams coach, and Greg Roman. So those are kind of the kind of the names that I think make some sense to uh, compete for some of these head coaching jobs. So teams that aren't the Bears or Texans, so any of those other teams, any of those names stick out as like, man, I'd really like to see this quarterback paired with this guy, or I'd like to see this defense take a step if they hired this head coach, or what, whatever your rationale is. Any of those match in your mind? So it kind of depends on the quarterback they go after. 
because if they're going after like a veteran free agent that can handle himself, that they don't have a whole lot of worries about, then I would be okay with bringing in Brandon Staley. He basically runs Vic Fangio's defense. Like it, it would not be a hard transition at all. And in fact, I think this already very good defense, assuming they keep people, would go back to playing at the level that they did in 2018 under Fangio and being the best defense in the league. Fun fact, the Rams and the Broncos, where Fangio is right now, they're the only teams in the entire league to align pre-snap with two high safeties on 60% or more of their snaps and employ light light boxes on 75% of their snaps. And yet the Rams' defense, in terms of rush DVOA and pass DVOA, are both top 10. um, Thank you, Aaron Donald. (laughs) Thank you, Aaron. Well, that's the thing, is they actually have the personnel to run a Fangio-style system where Vic is trying to run what he had with the Bears with lesser personnel because of injuries. If he had Von Miller, sure. If he had uh, you know healthy DBs, sure, he could make it work. But again, they, I, I think it's basically showing like, hey, you can run this system and have it be ultra amazing if the talent is there. And so if they decide to retain all of that defensive talent and then bring in a veteran quarterback... I think you could have Staley come in and, and literally just slide right into this defense, have it performing back to a top five or top three unit even, uh, and then hope you could just get better quarterback play with whatever veteran you bring in. Maybe they bring in, um, I'll say it, Jameis. Maybe they bring in Jameis. Don't you put that get... on me, Ricky Bobby. Don't you put, I'm just saying. Don't you put that witchcraft on me. God, no. You could very easily do that. Now, if they want to go with a young quarterback, if they're looking at a Zach Wilson, a Mac Jones, then uh, uh, enemy honestly, I, I don't know if Biennemi's going to want that job. Um, but I I do think Dable would take it. I think Arthur Smith would take it. I think enemy would vastly prefer to work with Herbert. Well, here's another he's one. Very similar I'm, to Pat. I'm going to make some matches here, and and you can react. You both can react to these. So, Jets, uh, I would like to see Eric Bieniemy and Trevor Lawrence do their thing because I think there's a lot of similarities between Trevor Lawrence and Mahomes and what they could run. Obviously, they don't have the talent base in Jets land that they do for the Chiefs, but the Jaguars have some juice on offense and if they were able to get fields or lawrence i think the enemy would be really interesting there because they've got colin johnson they've got lavisca chenault they've got shark they've got uh you know undrafted free agent guy that i remembered his name last podcast and now i can't robinson yeah james robinson so They've got a lot of interesting pieces, and if they grabbed a tight end, right, if they went up high and grabbed a tight end after they got their quarterback, that would be a really interesting B enemy fit. So Jets or Jaguars for B enemy. Lions, uh, look, there's a lot of smoke behind Sala, um, but I think the other name that just started to get momentum this week was Marvin Lewis, and I could see Marvin Lewis sliding in there with a largely veteran team it's gonna be a longer rebuild you're gonna to have to commit to him for a little bit longer because uh, a lot of square pegs and round holes in matt patricia's system falcons eh, i don't have a great match for the falcons so i'll just move on but uh brian dable to the chargers can you imagine 
Brian Dable moving on from Josh Allen and going to the sort of better version in Justin Herbert uh, with all those offensive weapons. I think he'd be a kid in a candy store with that particular match. Um, yeah, for Bears and Texans, we can talk about those later. I I really think an offensive coach is, is the answer for the Bears. We've talked about Joe Brady and Arthur Smith a lot on this podcast for the Bears opening. I think that's good. Um, but that just leaves the Falcon ones open. Any of those uh, really stir notions in either one of you? I uh, Joe Brady, I actually think is a, is a good fit with the Falcons. Um, I I think just because again of the of the type of quarterback they have, I think Joe Brady is is very good at designing offenses that get the ball out quick, that can protect an immobile quarterback. It's very timing oriented. It's very rhythm oriented. You know, Teddy's more mobile than Ryan is, but um, I, I think Joe Brady would actually be a very good fit. I, I, he might actually be younger than Matt Ryan now that I think about it, but I think he would be a good fit there. The uh, enemy, I think, as attractive as the Jets' job is, I think the Jets would be the third most attractive option for Biennemi because Deshaun Watson doesn't have a head coach right now, and Justin Herbert likely won't have a head coach. Uh, and I think he would prefer to work with Deshaun, number one, as a known quantity, who's a superstar, who could probably give him job security for a decade. And then Herbert, again, I think that's a that's a pure job security move. Like, And then if all things, like if somehow the Texans hire somebody else and somehow the Chargers hire somebody else, he could very easily go to the Jets. But I think uh, if I was Biennemi, it's Deshaun, number one, Herbert, number two. And then Lawrence number three. I that I've had Bienemy down in Houston. That's kind of been my. I've kind of assumed that that's what's going to happen. I want to talk about the. And if you feel like that, to you is that your number one? You said you think that should be Bienemy's number one. Is that your number one choice for a coach for the Texans? I'm like a one A one B one C situation between Bienemy Dable and Staley. Because, again, Staley's that guy where it's like, we don't have to worry about the quarterback. We don't have to worry about the offense. They're going to be fine. Staley can come in and fix the defense. Uh, and he's got some guys that are perfect fits. Uh, you know, with Amenahu and and Reed, uh, Lonnie Johnson, I think, is a pretty good fit at strong safety for what they like to do with all the too high stuff. You'll probably have to figure out a way to get more speed at linebackers because Bernard Drippin like you can afford to have a Zach Cunningham. But you can't afford to have a Zach Cunningham and a Bernard Drippin You need at least one guy that can cover. So they would need to find a way to fix linebacker. I think you need an ass kicker like like an Akeem Hicks type, which they had in, in Reader, but then they let him go. But you would you would need an ass kicker like that on the inside to really cement that uh cement that defense for like early downs because I'm in who's more of a third down guy on the inside. You have the edge players already with Watt and Martin and all that. So, and then corner, I think, um, depending on if Gary on Conley is able to get healthy and come back. If Roby comes back like corner, I think is fine ish. So the personnel is sort of there for, for Staley to hit the ground running as a, as a defensive head coach here. And obviously Deshaun, when he's your quarterback, your offense is going to be fine. But if you really want to just supercharge the offense, then yeah, you want to bring in Dable Brienemy. You know, Vic Fangio is going to sit there and be like, "Okay, Brandon Staley, how did you do that? It took me 
how many decades in this league to get a to get a head coaching job, and you you just shot right through. Uh, but because he, he, is kind he was of in those... a room with Sean McVay. If if you get a cup yeah. of coffee with Sean McVay, you get a head coaching job. Yeah, I've been stalking him for for years now, and nothing come has come from it. So, uh, I, uh, let's flip to the Bears real quick, and I, I want to get Brett's opinion first, and then EJ and I will dive in a little bit here. So, as a as as someone with fondness in your heart for the Bears. Who do you think of these candidates make the most sense? And who would you be like, yes, all right, Bears, good hire? I would love Dable. I would love Dable. But you would have to basically tell him, we will take whatever quarterback you want. Like, you have to convince Dable to go there. Because there's other jobs with established quarterbacks, which means more job security. Like, the Bears are the least secure job because – they don't have a guaranteed top five pick like Jacksonville or the Jets. They're probably going to be a mid-round pick, and they still don't have a quarterback, and they're strapped for cash. Like, it is the least attractive job out of all of those. You would have to convince Dable to do it by basically saying, we will get whoever you want. We will spend whatever you want. We will give you a six-year deal where they absolute crap ton of money that we can't afford to fire you. We will give you that security, but you have to come here. It would have to be like a Matt Rule type situation. Um, the question is, is Virginia willing to do it? Well, you know, EJ and I have talked about this with the Kyle Shanahan deal, where you know that, that may be what you have to do to get the guy that you want to show that you're willing to allow that person a long runway for a rebuild and uh, commit to that person without you know, fear of them getting fired before the rebuild is, is complete. For me, my number one, I, I continue to kind of come back to this. I, I think it's Arthur Smith, and a lot of it's because I think he's been cooking up some really good meals with what he's got in front of him, and I've been really impressed by that. And you're going to have a Bears offense that's not going to be complete for a while, you know, Bears fans out there saying like, or ever. Yeah, I get that. But, but it's not going to happen overnight here. And I think that he's a guy that has shown in his two years as coordinator that he seems to me to be a really good play caller and he's getting improvement out of a lot of his players. And to me, that's, that's a really good sign of a guy that deserves a chance at a spot like that. He also runs, at least right now, he's running a style of football that I think Bears fans will love and just fits in Chicago. He seems to understand how to connect the running game to the play-action game to the passing game. So he has, to me, he has command of a full understanding of that type of offense, which is what the modern offensive NFL is, it, it, one version of that right now anyway, uh, in my book. And so for me, this is the guy that I think is a really good fit, and I think it's a guy that might be inter- willing to take that job. Like you said, other guys, this this Bears job isn't as attractive, but he might be a guy that's willing to jump to take this Bears job. I'd be interested to see if he can, like let's just say they go after Jameis, like if Sean Payton's convinced that Taysom Hill is the future and he keeps Taysom around and Jameis, you know, he's a free agent, he can go wherever he wants. Uh, if Jameis is on the market, you throw some money at him, you pair him with Arthur Smith. I think Arthur Smith runs the style of offense that could actually kind of keep Jameis in check and protect him from himself. It's a lot of play action. It's a lot of half field reads. It's a lot of if then statements. 
it's not so much like, hey, we're running four verts. Just go chuck it to Mike Evans and hopefully you don't get picked off. Like, it, it's a lot less of that. Uh, I would actually very much like to see that happen. Yeah, I like the Smith pairing. Um, I like Brady. Dable would be a ton of fun, but I, I really think Biennemi and Dable are going to have their choice. Um, you know, Robert Sala as a, as a coach and a leader of men, I think he's great and, and can keep the defense high, but there's just so much water under the bridge with Chicago not having any offense in the modern era um, that powers them in an in offensive league that you really need to go get that person. But, you know, all these guys could end up in, in other chairs. Uh, and, you know, I think the dark horse, if the music stops and everybody's got a chair and the Bears still need a coach, is Dave Tube. Right? This is a guy mm. that has been a tremendous coach. He has history with the Bears. You know, everybody says, oh, special teams coaches. Yeah, like, they don't they don't make great head coaches. Well, like, yeah, there's one in Baltimore that's made a really good head coach for a long time, right? It's not as popular, certainly not as popular as the offensive option is right now. And let me be clear, I would prefer someone that can institute their offensive system and impose their will on other teams offensively. That is something the Bears have lacked for a long time and I think will be them getting over the hump. But if they, you know, if Dable and Bietemy and Smith and Brady take other jobs or choose to stay where they're at because they like that situation better, because again, the Bears' attractiveness overall is pretty low. Not a ton of cash, no quarterback in the stable, uh, sort of no clear direction for the future, and you're going to need that long runway. I can see Dave Tube going, hey, I'll, I'll come hang out. Right. And being very good, because the one thing that people underestimate about special teams coaches is that they touch all the roster. They touch the offensive guys, the defensive guys. And Tube's been around long enough that he's seen most of it. He's been in Kansas City for the recent history. And obviously they've done pretty well. I'm sure he's been taking notes. It would really depend as who he could go get as an offensive coordinator. But that's my dark horse. Not my first choice, but I could see it happening. And honestly, I could see it working out, too. Well, and just remember, Bears fans, that Mike Ditka was nine years special teams coach in Dallas before he took over as the head coach of the Chicago Bears. George Hallis said, okay, Mike, we're going to give you the reins. And, man, Bears fans, they love themselves some Mike Ditka coaching. So that is uh, that is a a factual statement that I'm making. I I felt better before you said that. Is that wrong? (laughs) I, I will say this, though. There's another special teams hire that's a head coach this year that's on a four-game win streak right now and just beat the Seahawks in Seattle with a backup quarterback with the New York Giants. Uh, I, I think the thing with special teams coaches is they tend to be very good at game management and situational football. And for the longest time, it feels like the Bears have been bad in situational football. Like be, be throw whole throw the offense out, throw the defense out. Like in terms of just clock management, in terms of getting too cheeky at the wrong times, in terms of just having their ish together, in terms of managing a football game. The that's always been a weakness for the Bears, in my opinion. At least probably since the prime Lovey area, uh, Lovey era, like the mid two thousands, which is when Dave uh, Tobe was their special teams coach. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point. And I, I think that Joe Judge 
in in New York. When did he get into the fight with Mark Colombo? I mean, I know that <laughs> it was overblown and he didn't actually About get two into like, this fight. Yeah. I, I yeah. just I don't know that we've talked about this much on the podcast, but Mark Colombo, obviously former offensive lineman for the Chicago Bears, is a giant human being. Don't get in a fight with your offensive line coach, particularly when they're former professional offensive linemen. These are giant human beings. They do not need to be uh, messed with. It's so just, what just a bad idea. What you're saying is the subtraction of a former bear has led to the Giants' ascension. I, I did not say that, but now that you've said it, it makes some sense. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, fired up, you know, yeah. galvanizing By the way, teams and uh, all that kind of stuff. I'm I'm just saying, I'm just saying since since uh, you know, on this four-game win streak that they've had, Andrew Thomas, you know, was giving up the most pressures in the league in the first 8 games. And in the last 4 games, he's given up a total combined 5 pressures. So it's about 1.2 pressures a game, which would be one of the best rates in the league. So clearly, I think I'm not saying that fighting Mark Colombo was the correct decision. Maybe firing Mark Colombo was the correct decision because Andrew Thomas might have just had his career. Yeah, fair saved. enough. I I just I, when it came out that like oh there was punches thrown, I was like I don't believe this because if there was punches thrown, I feel like that guy might you know well might he'd be, be dead. All right, well, that, that's kind of all I had for Brett. Really appreciate him coming on. I want to talk about the drinks real quick as we always kind of recap here. I will say that this bottle of whiskey is excellent. Uh, it is a fantastic bottle of whiskey. Um, again, it's called it's called Widow Jane. This one is age 10 years. I don't know all of their different age statements or anything like that, but it is a fantastic bourbon, and I, I just put it in a glass. No ice, nothing else with it. It was wonderful. Uh, Corona is exactly how I remember it. It's refreshing. <laughs> it's good, and appreciate them. You know, letting us help them out with their with their promotion. And and uh, what about you guys, Brett? How was your trolley? I mean, have you ever had a bad red trolley? <laughs> I, I have not. It's perfection. That's a fine statement to make about any beer, right? I've I've never had a bad one of those. Mm-hmm. So no, you're right. It's it's solid. It's a mainstay, uh, a fixture of. Uh, the SoCal beer scene. I wish I could get them up here. Um, I was really pleasantly surprised with my Freem or Frime IPA. Uh, not very bitey at all. So JB, you might uh, you might appreciate it. Uh, it doesn't give the IBU rating, uh, but it was very pleasant. Had a bit of a sort of malty sweet aftertaste to it, which is not very typical of an IPA, but uh, really well crafted. Really well balanced, did uh, everything you would have liked and very few things that you would not have. I would absolutely buy it again. I'm a little bit uh, chagrined that I waited this long because I couldn't pronounce the name. Probably should have bought it earlier. So there you go. If you uh, if you send me a six or a dead guy, I'll send you a six or a red trolley. How about that? Oh, that sounds like a fine trade right there. <laughs> that sounds like a win-win situation. I that's, can't get d- like dead a- guy anywhere around here, so... That's like a that's like a Minnesota Buffalo wide receiver trade draft swap <laughs> kind of a thing. Uh, anyways, uh, so Brett, where can we find your work if you are not on Bears Over Beers? So you can find me anywhere on YouTube at Brett Coleman. That's K O L L M A N N, or just type in the film room on YouTube, uh, or probably just type in Carson Wentz, and my video on him will pop up somewhere near the top. I just did a kind of feature on him about everything that had been going wrong uh, recently for him, and it's, it's 
about a 20-minute video, and buckle up when you watch it because there's a lot of problems. But now that uh, Jalen Hurts is starting, I'm curious to see uh, if we uh, see something different in Philly. Yeah, I I would hope so. But can't thank you enough for coming on, talking about the Texans, talking about the whole rest of the league, of course, as you do every week on Bootleg Football. And uh, you got the Justin Jefferson episode coming out, which is uh, should be watched by just about every NFL fan because if Justin Jefferson doesn't run away with Offensive Rookie of the Year, the voting is rigged. He is slaughtering the competition there uh, and looks to be a long-term mainstay as a Vikings receiver, which is kind of a bummer for those of us that are Bears fans. But uh, for those of us that are football fans, we dig it overall. So uh, continued success. Thanks again for coming on. JB, you got anything else going this week? No. <laughs> <laughs> He's all, yeah, nah, I'm done. This is it. Well, uh, yeah, may we inherit a coaching staff that makes better luck next year come later and later every year. And until then, uh, enjoy Bears-Texans. It is a chance to see Deshaun Watson play against the Bears, which he hasn't done before. And, you know, no matter which side you're rooting for, there's probably some good football going down. We've got full slates, buys are over, plenty of NFL action to drown your sorrows in, no matter what is happening on your team of choice. So until then, keep listening and bear down.